1: some poetry aimed at Advent or the Christmas season. And even though I just did an episode for her on John Betjeman, the British poet, his poem in Westminster Cathedral, I couldn't help but select a couple of Betjeman poems for this season. They just seem so appropriate. Betjeman's style is not particularly hip nowadays. Um, he's He uses rhymes. He doesn't try to shade or hide meaning or produce just suggestions of meaning. Uh, he's not ambivalent. Um, but he sure is fun to read, and I hope to listen to. Reading his poetry to me is just like putting a big butterscotch candy in my mouth. <laughs> it just kind of coats the tongue. Um, or if I were to be a little more sophisticated, I would say it's like a, a good cab or Syrah that one lets roll over their tongue and wash around their palate. But we're just going to stick with a more homey example. I'm going to do two poems here and They won't, they won't take much explaining. I will talk about a few little words or phrases that might be vague to a current American reader after I've read the poems. Uh, But we'll just go ahead and start now with a round of each. The first one is called Advent, 1955. And the second is called Christmas. ADVENT 1955 The advent wind begins to stir With sea-like sounds in our scotch fur. It's dark at breakfast, dark at tea, And in between we only see clouds hurrying across the sky And rain-wet roads the wind blows dry And branches bending to the gale Against great skies all silver-pale The world seems traveling into space and traveling at a faster pace than in the leisured summer weather when we and it sit out together. For now we feel the world spin round on some monotonous journey bound. Journey to what? To whom? To where? The advent bells call out, prepare. Your world is journeying to the birth of God-made man for us on earth. And how, in fact, do we prepare for the great day that waits us there? The 25th day of December, the birth of Christ. For some, it means an interchange of hunting scenes on colored cards. And I remember last year I sent out 20 yards laid end-to-end of Christmas cards to people that I scarcely know. They'd send a card to me, and so I had to send one back. Oh dear, is this a form of Christmas cheer? Or is it, which is less surprising, my pride gone in for advertising? The only cards that really count are that extremely small amount from real friends who keep in touch and are not rich but love us much. Some ways, indeed, are very odd, by which we hail the birth of God. We raise the price of things in shops. We give plain boxes, fancy tops, and lines which traders cannot sell, thus parceled, go extremely well. We dole out bribes we call a present to those to whom we must be pleasant for business reasons. Our defense is these bribes are charged against expenses and bring relief in income tax. Enough of these unworthy cracks. The time draws near the birth of Christ, a present that cannot be priced, given 2,000 years ago, Yet if God had not given so, he still would be a distant stranger and not the baby in the manger. Christmas. The bells of waiting advent ring. The tortoise stove is lit again, and lamp-oil light across the night has caught the streaks of winter rain in many a stained-glass window sheen from crimson lake To Hooker's Green. The holly in the windy hedge And round the manor house the yew Will soon be stripped to deck the ledge, The altar, font, and arch, and pew, So that the villagers can say, The church looks nice on Christmas Day. Provincial public houses blaze, And corporation tramcars clang, On lighted tenements I gaze, Where paper decorations hang, And bunting in the red town hall says, Merry Christmas to you all. And London shops on Christmas Eve are strung with silver bells and flowers as hurrying clerks the city leave to pigeon-haunted classic towers. And marbled clouds go scudding by the many-steepled London sky. And girls in slacks remember Dad, and oafish louts remember Mum. And sleepless children's hearts are glad. And Christmas morning bells say, Come, even to shining ones Who dwell safe in the Dorchester Hotel. And is it true? And is it true, This most tremendous tale of all, Seen in the stained-glass window's hue, A baby in an ox's stall, The maker of the stars and sea, Become a child on earth for me? And is it true? For if it is, no loving fingers tying strings around those tissued fripperies, the sweet and silly Christmas things, bath salts and inexpensive scent, and hideous tie so kindly meant. No love that in a family dwells, no caroling in frosty air, nor all the steeple-shaking bells can with this single truth compare. That God was man in Palestine, and lives today in bread and wine. In 1955, there's just a couple things I want to bring to your attention. It depends on how old you are listening to this podcast. When I was a kid, I can remember still getting these kind of corny Christmas cards in our family mailbox that had for some reason, hunting scenes on them. There were also uh, prints of old-fashioned towns with horses and sleighs. I think courier and Ives was the name of the famous printers of those. So that's what he's referring to there with hunting scenes. Um, a line is, it's a line of goods, you know, like a line of cars or a line of clothing. And when he talks about he's going to uh, enough of these unworthy cracks, I think he's talking about cracks as in jokes, uh, although it could be argued that he's still speaking about these cheap consumer items, uh, like a uh, there's an old phrase called a gym crack. It's just a cheap trinket. And he's obviously not enamored with the way Christmas has been materialized and commercialized. And that's way back in 1955, at least with that first poem. So it's not as if this is a new phenomenon. I mentioned in the other podcast about Benjamin that he did not get along with C.S. Lewis after Lewis had been his tutor at um, Oxford. But they both shared a real antipathy towards Commercialism in Christmas, particularly, and even some of the Christmas traditions. Uh, Lewis has a rather funny essay called um, Delinquents in the Snow that was included in a collection of essays called God in the Dock, and the delinquents in the snow are carolers that would come about and sing and then demand treats, but he also addresses the commercialization issue as well. In the poem Christmas, uh, a tortoise stove it was kind of interesting. I get a little bit of an education when I do one of these poems and have to look things up. tortoise stove was a small, inexpensive, wood-burning stove that was first invented in 1830 and became very popular and was in a lot of homes and small commercial stores and things like that. So it would have been something that people would have associated with... Um, Coziness; It was called a t- tortoise stove because it, it burned uh, the wood or other fuel very slowly and fairly economically. He makes this comment uh, about stained, gla- window, uh, stained glass window sheen. And he says, from Crimson Lake to Hooker's Green, well, those aren't places. Those are actually shades of artists' colors that were in vogue at that time. He makes this comment about girls in slacks, and I know that would just seem very strange to us now, but there was a time when it was seen to be quite progressive and even a bit daring or impolite for women to be out in public in slacks instead of dresses, and Benjamin was kind of a old-fashioned sort. He still longed for a little bit more of a formal England, I suppose. And this is just his way of talking about young kids that he doesn't necessarily approve of. And then, of course, the oafish louts are the typical teenage guys out there. But at least they're remembering mum. They're buying a gift for mum. Dorchester Hotel um, was, is... Uh, still considered a very high class. It's a five-star hotel in London. So this was the upper end of prosperity and luxury. So, But even these these bells, these Christmas bells that are ringing or calling to folks even who are up there in the Dorchester Hotel. Fripperies, that's junk, you know, shiny junk. Um, And then, of course, he... References uh, getting a hideous tie, though it was kindly meant. That's been a joke for years, especially for fathers, getting another tie for Christmas. I don't know if that happens as much now, but it, it did up till the last decade or two ago. But then he does turn to a more serious discussion of what he believes to be the true meaning of Christmas. And it hinges upon this historical claim that God has come to earth in human flesh. And being an Anglican and believing in what's called the real presence in the sacrament of communion, Benjamin believes that Christ is still especially present with us here and now still in the sacrament of communion. So, pour yourself a cup of hot spice cider, throw another log on the fire, or the tortoise stove, if you have one, and I hope enjoy listening to these two Christmas poems by John Betjeman again. Advent, 1955. The advent wind begins to stir with sea-like sounds in our scotch fir. It's dark at breakfast, dark at tea, and in between we only see clouds hurrying across the sky, and rain-wet roads the wind blows dry, and branches bending to the gale against great skies all silver pale. The world seems traveling into space, and traveling at a faster pace than in the leisured summer weather, when we and it sit out together. For now we feel the world spin round on some momentous journey bound. Journey to what? To whom? To where? The Advent bell, bells call out, prepare, your world is journeying to the birth of God-made man for us on earth. And how, in fact, do we prepare for the great day that waits us there? The 25th day of December, the birth of Christ. For some, it means an interchange of hunting scenes on colored cards. And I remember last year I sent out 20 yards, laid end to end, of Christmas cards to people that I scarcely know. They'd sent a card to me, and so I had to send one back. Oh dear, is this a form of Christmas cheer? Or is it, which is less surprising, my pride gone in for advertising? The only cards that really count are that extremely small amount from real friends who keep in touch and are not rich but love us much. Some ways, indeed, are very odd by which we hail the birth of God. We raise the price of things in shops. We give plain boxes, fancy tops, and lines which traders cannot sell, thus parceled, go extremely well. We dole out bribes we call a present— to those to whom we must be pleasant for business reasons. Our defense is these bribes are charged against expenses and bring relief in income tax. Enough of these unworthy cracks. The time draws nearer the birth of Christ, a present that cannot be priced, given 2,000 years ago. Yet if God had not given so, he still would be a distant stranger and not the baby in the manger." Christmas. The bells of waiting Advent ring, the tortoise stoves lit again, and lamp oil light across the night has caught the streaks of winter rain, in many a stained glass window sheen, from crimson lake to Hooker's Green. The holly in the windy hedge and round the manor house, the yew, will soon be stripped to deck the ledge, the altar, font, and arch and pew so that the villagers can say, the church looks nice on Christmas Day. Provincial public houses blaze, and corporation tramcars clang. On lighted tenements I gaze, where paper decorations hang, and bunting in the red town hall says, Merry Christmas to you all. And London shops on Christmas Eve are strung with silver bells and flowers, as hurrying clerks the city leave to pigeon-haunted classic towers and marbled clouds go scudding by the many-steepled London sky. And girls in slacks remember Dad, and oafish louts remember Mum, and sleepless children's hearts are glad, and Christmas-morning bells say, Come, even to shining ones who dwell safe in the Dorchester Hotel. And is it true, and is it true, this most tremendous tale of all, Seen in a stained-glass window's hue, A baby in an ox's stall, The maker of the stars and sea, Become a child on earth for me. And is it true? For if it is, No loving fingers tying strings Around those tissued fripperies, The sweet and silly Christmas things, Bath salts, an inexpensive scent, And hideous tie so kindly meant, No love that in a family dwells, no caroling in frosty air, nor all the steeple-shaking bells can with this single truth compare, that God was man in Palestine and lives today in bread and wine.
0: Part of my vision for Take This Poem was to have it be interactive. I imagined it as a virtual bonfire poetry reading, where friends, family, local poets, and you can come together to warm our hands on some poetry. So what would that look like? Well, I'm glad you asked. You could send me a voice recording of you reading a poem to be included in a mailbag poetry reading. Commenting on the poem is welcome, but optional. Don't be shy. It's the only voice you got. What better use for it do you have than reading beautiful words out loud? Also, you could request a poem that you'd like to hear me read and ponder on the show. Or tell me what you've been thinking about these days, and I could play literary matchmaker and choose a poem for you. And by the way, I am aware that I have a small but loyal following of youngsters out there, and these invitations are all open to them as well. Send any of these or other ideas you have, to take this poem podcast at gmail.com and join me in sharing good poems with this little community. I hope to hear from you soon.